Welcome to Energy Radio, the podcast where we try to equip you in the development of your energy and decarbonization projects. On this episode, we're going to talk about natural gas utility due diligence. If you are doing a project that requires natural gas as a fuel, um, this is the podcast for you. We do see this more and more as um, we have a lot more renewables on the grid and we have uh, intermittent power and we need reliable power. We do see a resurgence of um, very short duration, few hours a year, but uh, natural gas firming capacity. Um, and so we think this topic is, is is still a relevant topic. And to do that, I've invited um, uh, no stranger of the show, uh, somebody who has extensive um, natural gas utility experience. Uh, I saw it live and in action earlier today in a meeting um, of which I understood only half of it. And it was enjoyable to be part of it. Um, so without further ado, I'd like to uh, welcome back to the show multiple times um, uh, my my uncle and the founder of CEM, Martin Lunsink. Martin, welcome to Energy Radio. Thank you, Matt. It's good to be here. I know we used to, in the old days we would record it in person and in on video, and you know now we're we're audio only. But uh, thank you for still making time to uh, to join us. Uh, maybe we'll start by getting you to give. Um, the audience a background on your history, particularly with natural gas utilities. So yeah, I joined Union Gas in the spring of 82. And the first uh, two or three years that I was there, I was in the systems planning department. So I had the uh, opportunity there to learn how complicated the transmission and distribution of natural gas within then Union Gas's service territory. And then I joined in uh, industrial gas sales after a stint in commercial sales. I, I joined uh, industrial gas sales in 86. I was there for four years. And there we started to really get involved in how do we supply natural gas to prime movers, specifically cogen projects. So yeah, I was uh, in Union for almost eight years, and that's really where I picked up a lot of the the challenges that uh, natural gas utilities face in supplying uh, the kind of equipment that we love to put in and love to design. So you start you start as a wet behind the engineers kind of in the in the planning side, and then you move more of a customer facing role. But in both cases, you were really front and center in terms of you know both both I think the technical and the commercial side of of, of supplying gas to clients. Yeah, that's right. And especially how the gas companies model gas flows on a design day, on a 44 degree day. Uh, how do they go about doing that? How do how do they go about sizing the ID of the pipe? Um, you know, how do they build a model so that pressure requirements at all the customers uh, are met and maintained? So let's let's start there. Let kind of walk us through um you know we're here in a north american context let walk us through how the natural gas infrastructure works obviously you know and you know i don't i don't think we have to talk about how does it get in the transmission system but maybe you know kind of the, the transmission system we today we talked about dawn versus parkway i think you know maybe talk us through kind of transmission then how does it get into a distributor and and maybe from a high level walk us through that first yeah so it it from a Canadian context, uh, you know, it started with TransCanada pipelines bringing gas in from Alberta and Saskatchewan along transmission lines from leaving Empress, Alberta, the, the Alberta border point, coming into 
several delivery points in Ontario, um, around Toronto and most notably Dawn. And then later on, uh, now we have also gas being distributed or trans transmitted throughout the United States and also being delivered into Southern Ontario. So we have several transmission uh, points where natural gas is is brought into Southern Ontario. And so there's a, a commodity transfer uh, title changes to the gas uh, when it enters the LDC. Uh, you know, it used to be just Union and Enbridge. Now it's all Enbridge in Ontario. Uh, they have a few delivery points in there, a number, quite a number of distri- uh, delivery points, and they distribute from there. So they size their pipes based on the firm commitments on a 44-degree day. So that's uh, like a very cold day. Um, and the core market is considered first, the residential, um, you know, anybody who's, who has to get gas, old-age homes, hospitals, um, and they also add into that any customers that have signed firm contracts. So they size the pipe based on um, the market that must be served on a cold day that cannot be interrupted and any customers that have signed up for firm supply. Okay. And, and so sizing it based on firm supply, there's really two dimensions to that, right? Pressure and flow? Right. Um, primarily um, so so there's a number of different kinds of distribution systems in Ontario there's some that operate uh, between 60 pardon me between 125 psi and 250 psi there's a bunch that run between 60 and 125 there's a lot of pipe in the ground in Ontario for example that's uh, operating between 20 psi and 60 psi um, so what they can and cannot do is a function of the prevailing pressure in a certain distribution area in a certain city, say, for example. So the, you know, the, the first attempt is to get the flow uh, that we require. We have to tell them how much, how much natural gas flow we want, what pressure we would like. Uh, but then they, they do most of their due diligence on the incremental flow rate that we've asked for, and they'll tell us whether they can or cannot, for a reasonable amount of money, give, give us the pressure that we're looking for. Yep. And and when what they're looking at then is they're saying, hey, you know, we have a we have a an existing operating model for this pipe. We know what's coming in. We know what's going out. We know the firm commitments. And you're asking to pull more flow at this pressure. And they're looking at does that additional flow um, cause such a draw on the pipe that that they drop the pressure? Is that yeah? For example, if if there's too much incremental flow in a system and pressure commitments that have been made to existing customers can't be met because the inlet pressure to the customer's gate stations starts to drop, and it, it drops too low. Like a classic example is in the IP system, the uh, and the LP systems. Like let's take a 60 pound system. It it's presumed to operate at say 20 psi on the coldest winter day into a customer's metering and regulation station. If we start to drop below, for example, that 20 PSI, then we can't get the delta, the pressure drop across the station and we can't deliver gas at the contractual obligation after the station. So that's why you know, they are looking so much at looping upstream, right? So they wanna, they wanna add more 
diameter, more, more space at the origin, at the beginning of the system, because uh, that gives them more deliverability because uh, the you know the pressure drop is is reduced at the at the beginning of the pipe. Uh, so yeah, it's a it's a it, it's a it's a modeling system that they've been doing for decades, literally decades and decades. Um, they know exactly throughout Ontario, and this is the the case for all provinces and all states. Uh, they know what they can and cannot do um, based on that. 44 degree day that design day and that's that's a excuse my ignorance but 44 that's not fahrenheit is it <laughs> no it's um so it's it's if you take 44 minus 18 okay. so it presumes um 44 minus 18 so if ambient temperature is 18 degrees in our house yes um uh, it assumes a uh, prevailing temperature of minus 26. So, um, you know. Oh, so so it's a lift of 44. 18, 18 is ambient. Yes. Minus, minus 26 is 44. Right. And so everything presumes that the, uh, it, it's, it's called a degree day, a 44 degree day. So in other words, minus 26 outside. Ah, okay. So this is interesting. If you know, we heard from our friends that it's like minus forty in Edmonton. That that twenty six may be different in Alberta, for example. I can't speak to that, but gotcha. Um, but in and Ontario, it's, it's minus twenty six. Do you? This is not necessarily part of the discussion, but as we move, do do you see a day where um, the yeah, I guess this is more an electrical thing than a gas thing. The 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 design day will always be a cold day. Like with 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 all the change in the energy transition, that never moves to a a hot day. The transition is more electrically. The design day has historically been a hot day, and it may occasionally be a cold day in the future. But the same is not true in gas. No, the initial sizing that uh the distribution company can get approval to spend capital uh is predicated on that coldest day now the id of that pipe and the flow through it and the pressure consequences uh are definitely looked at throughout the year in terms of right. you know say the peaking plants uh you know what but you know that's where you know you have to sign up for firm if you want that assurance that you're going to be able to meet your power obligations for sure. Right. Yeah. Okay. And we're going to come to kind of firm versus interruptible in a minute. Um, but let's talk a bit about, you know, the utilities and kind of their, their business model, maybe give us a, you know, assume we don't know anything about a regulated natural gas utility. Talk to us in very general terms about kind of how they make their money and how they're, you know, business model uh, works, and then we can kind of talk around that. So yeah, historically, going back to the 80s when I was there, um, they make their money, they're allowed a certain return on what's called rate base. And rate base is the current depreciated value of the assets in the ground. So as the assets age, uh, the depreciated value goes down, so therefore, if they don't keep putting pipe in the ground, the amount of absolute dollars that they can earn will go down. Um, 
So, you know, they're motivated to put pipe in because they're only allowed to earn a return, an allowable rate of return because their, their rate of return is fixed. It's, it's, it's set by the Ontario Energy Board. Uh, if they can ask for a certain return on rate base and it will be accepted or denied, but it's based on um, uh, the depreciated value of assets in the ground. Okay. Okay. And, and whereas so, the volume itself, yeah. the, like the flow, the gas itself, they don't make money on. That's just a pass through. It's right. Okay. So when so when you pay a regulated gas utility, so yeah, let's talk about that for a minute. So when you pay a regulated gas utility, you and you look at your bill, it's got a couple components of it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a couple ways to do. It. We talked a bit about this this morning in this morning's call. Maybe unpack that in terms of what you're paying for in your bill. So yeah, if you, it depends on if you're buying system gas. In other words, you're you're relying on the gas company, like we do in our home. We're relying on the gas company. Most of us are to supply the gas that we burn. Uh, the the LDC is the default or backstop supplier. We're not going in our houses for direct purchase gas. Um, so you know, on so there's two kinds of customers: those that are still buying system gas, where gas has been pre-purchased by the LDC, or most of our customers are bringing gas in via a direct purchase mechanism. And in those cases, they're only, they're earning money on moving the gas from the delivery point, mostly Dawn, south south of Sarnia, or in some cases, Toronto City Gate or Parkway. Um, Their assets start at that point, and they're allowed to. Um, so if you buy, if you buy, um, uh, you know, it's whether you're buying gas on a fixed basis or a variable basis, um, interrupt. If you're buying interruptible gas, for example, then the their their markup is is much lower. Right. Uh, whereas if it's fixed gas, uh, firm gas, they're allowed to earn a return on pipe that they have put in for you because you've made a firm commitment to, to them. So the, the, the key, the key always is how much firm gas do you need and how much interruptible gas you need. Um, so that's why in an, in our case, a lot of our turbines are on firm and the duct burner or the thing that could be backed up by a dual fuel boiler is on, is on, um, yeah. So interruptible, so interruptible gas. Right. So the gas company is like a moving company. You know, you, you say, hey, I, yep. bought this, I yep. bought this thing over here. I need you to move it from there to my place. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a yeah. transportation company. Yep. Transportation yep. company. Okay. Yep. So let, let's unpack that that firm versus uh, interruptible. So if I'm a if I'm a buyer of gas, obviously, I got to go get the molecules, the commodity from somebody that might be the utility through them or it might be direct purchase. But then th- I have. I have some options in terms of what I pay my moving company, so to speak, what I pay the transportation company, right? Yep. You can, um, if your production is essential and you cannot, uh, you cannot tolerate any interruption on gas, even for three, four, five, six days a year, you're, you're going to pay more and you're going to contract for firm gas uh, where you know you have pipe dedicated a certain amount of that ID of that pipe is dedicated for you. Whereas if you have a backup fuel or you can tolerate some disruptions to your production, you'll pay a a lower unit price by buying interruptible gas. 
Okay. Yeah. And are there are there different rate structures on a volumetric basis? If you Absolutely. buy more, you get a lower you get a lower rate volume yep. discount. Yeah, there's there's def several thresholds. Uh, used to be a BCS a, a BCF or 28 million cubic meters a year was a big threshold uh, before. Uh, now it can be like 250,000 400,000 MCF. But there are definitely uh, breakpoints now. And and the biggest challenge today in the deregulated gas industry is predicting what you'll need per day and doing that prediction. You know each fall when the gas year starts and accepting that gas on a daily basis, uh, what your contracted demand is per day uh, and taking that gas, because if you don't take it, uh, this is all, this all gets very complicated with storage. Uh, uh-huh. You have to be, you have to take within plus or minus 4% of what you said you would take. Um, but the starting point is really, you know, can I live with interruptible gas? Uh, to keep my burner tip cost as low as possible, or for whatever risk management reasons, do I have to go for firm? But yes, you, you need to know your your hourly for the sake of pipe uh, sizing the pipe. You need to know your CD for the purposes of contracting with your LDC. And then you need to know your annual because that will determine which level of rate cr- class you're in. Got um, it. Yep. And, and when you talk about firm, and you, I think you mentioned that you know, firm is is you're paying more because you're contributing to the capital that they put on the ground. It, it, it is there, in the ground. Is there a scenario where there's an existing pipe that has sufficient firm capacity, um, and and there isn't any new capital being deployed, or or is it by definition always going to need new capital if you need firm? No. Um... For example, if say there's a, do I know what, 8, 10, 12, 16 inch pipe and it's not fully subscribed um, and you you choose firm, um, what that results in, and I've, I've experienced this actually where um, you're making a commitment to help pay for that pipe quicker, but that means that the uh-huh. next customer along may not have access to that firm right. uh, okay. and it's and, and how in your what, experience how transparent is the utility typically in terms of you know what's available you know all of these things that you're talking about is are they pretty open book about it all well we certainly find um i can't speak for all jurisdictions but here in ontario the uh, enbridge is very helpful they'll tell you right away what they can and cannot do uh, within days, uh, what's possible, okay. what's not possible, which areas are, for example, has there been some industry that's closed and there's more pipe space in the pipe? Um, you know, where are they operating? Where, you know, they they can barely meet their pressure commitments on a design day. Uh, they know that extremely well. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right, so we've got pipe in the ground. We kind of know what what our rate is. Let's talk about contracting strategies. I mean, are there certain ways to contract uh, for this, or is every contract a fixed term and it's 20 years? And are there different ways to contract for gas like this? So, yeah, the, the 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 easy way, the most expensive way, is to get system gas. 
very few people of any size, especially the customers that we deal with, um, have the LDC as the as the backstop default supplier and are paying system gas. Most customers are entering into a direct purchase arrangement, um, and most of those direct purchase arrangements are gas delivered into Dawn. Enbridge takes title at that point and and moves your gas to you. Right. But but it can be a combination of um, spot gas or fixed price gas. Um, and, and a lot of customers are very, very careful in how much gas is fixed and how much of it is on index. And the, the fixed prices uh, are typically between one and five years. We don't see much. It's really hard to be credit worthy enough uh, and to get a strip on the NYMEX longer than five years. But okay. uh, and and it's and it's real how how customer how customers lock in whether it's short term or long term on on the fixed portion fixed price portion uh, is really a function of what they see as the future curve. Like for example, right now there's a lot of gas in storage. Uh, so far, we're having a kind of a, a lukewarm winter. Uh, there's a lot of gas in storage. So the forecast is that the the price is going to hold. Uh, there's not we're not going to see big spikes this winter. So the customers might be inclined to go out a little bit longer, two or three years from a budgeting perspective to get more burner tip certainty, uh, to get more budget certainty because burner tip is more uh, predictable. But yeah, the, the decision about how much, most customers have a combination of fixed price okay. gas and spot gas on top. Uh, and that's, that, that is the fixed the fixed or the combination of fixed and spot that's specific to the commodity right only to the commodity yep yeah yep. okay yep. um and and the fixed piece you know it, it the length of the contract that you can get is really a function of how long does the the seller think you're going to be around you know and, and they're actually going to take that gas right yeah so if, if the forward curve on the nymex says that you know this the spot um you know is really low right now and um, you know, it could, based on demand, LNG ports, uh, cold winters, you know, we might be looking at much higher gas three or four or five years from now, but there are suppliers that are willing to sell you a five-year strip at a small increment above what spot is today. We have seen that many times since 86 when, when the, uh, the whole natural gas industry was deregulated here in, in Canada. We, we have seen customers go out long at that point. Uh, okay so yeah. that's the contracting strategy on the commodity how, how, you know when you talk about firm interruptible um you know the the the, the contract of the transportation company what does that contract typically look like? yeah that that's renewed annually every okay. every year every fall november for by november 1st boom that commitment for the next 12 months is in place and they start working with you late summer early september uh, you know, what What are you going to need for that 12-month period starting November 1st? Um, what's your CD going to be? What are your, what's your day's use going to be? What's your minimum manual volume going to be? All the, all the parameters that are key for, you know, is it rate 110? Is it rate 115? Is it rate 170? Whatever the Enbridge distribution rate tariff is, there are a bunch of parameters that are in there and they have to be negotiated because your production in your factory may change. Um, so 
yeah that that that's an intense effort in september it's getting finalized in october and it takes effect november one with the each each year that's an annual thing and, and is there a different like let's say you you know you make a like the project necessitates a, a build out and like is there a long-term contract that you have to engage in too sometimes where you're well yeah so so what we have done successfully on a number of our projects is where if the um aid to construction but paid by the customer because the the utility is only allowed to spend capital up to a uh, like at a PI profitability index of one, if the if their profitability index drops below one, um, now they're looking for an aid to construction. You have to start paying for the pipe in the ground, the lateral. And that means you, that they're, they're with their rate of return and the money they have to spend and how much you're going to buy, mm -hmm. they're not they're they're not making the money they're supposed to make in that case. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They can they can only justify spending. Ratepayer money on new assets is on the basis that it meets a certain business case, a certain threshold. And in the LDCs, they use they don't use IRR, they don't use NPV, they don't use payback. They use this thing called profitability index. And if they drop below one, they may in some cases be allowed to go to 0 0.95, 0 0.9. But if it goes too low, you're going to have to contribute to that. And that's where we've been able to, you know, when that got to be a material number, say 500,000, 700,000, a million and you make it and you're credit worthy and you make a 10-year commitment to Enbridge to take that gas, then you don't have to, you know, you can pay for it every year through that incremental gas and you don't have to necessarily give them that 500,000 or 750,000 or a million uh, right, right at the get-go. Um, Got it. Okay. So they, they finance that for you. Yeah, they finance that for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you are, you are going to, you are going to pay for it. So. Sure. Right. Okay. Uh, okay. And that's that's separate from the annual process. It still has to happen. Yep. Okay. That's wow. that's in, in the case where you need more deliverability, you need a, a bigger service lateral or uh, whatever. You know, hopefully, whatever new gas our projects need is limited to the service lateral that comes from a big pipe of theirs into your plant and it often involves almost always involves a change to the to the um, commodity transfer point in other words the customer's metering regulation station that's owned by the ldc so in some cases there's changes to the meter or uh, to the regulator or there's going to be some and it could also involve pipe upstream of that right right, the, right. so we, yeah. we we always probe you know what's happening upstream of your meter mr enbridge like on a cold winter day uh, are we dropping to 30 pounds are we dropping um you know that that's that's a discussion that that we've had many times with customers over the years and the and enbridge um so there's a lot of moving pieces here um and there's a lot to consider and you know the goal of the podcast is to kind of equip people for uh you know, developing projects, and um, so so all of this being said, I mean, maybe we can talk about some some case studies that you know, and, and we can, you know, maybe omit the names to to protect the innocent and just describe them as as the you know certain industries. But are there case studies that come to mind where where either you know some things were missed early on and it went sideways, or and or 
you know, projects where, you know, we were, we were quite successful and everything went well and it was a good result. Mm -hmm. So I can, I, I can think of some examples that we were deeply involved with three of them, pardon me, four of them, three of them went very well. In one case, we didn't ask the right questions early enough. And then I have one very famous story that I will, I will not mention any client names uh, we were not involved with, but this, the lack of due diligence on this particular topic had a very, very negative uh, outcome. So um, this is near and dear to my heart because, you know, in 1989 and 1990, we were able to bring 250 PSI gas all the way through Leamington uh, to then H.J. Hines uh, and were able to avoid a fuel gas booster compressor. So that's kind of where I cut my teeth uh, on what can the gas company do to make a better power generation project. Uh, but since that time, uh, we've had s- several successes. Uh, one was a, a 10 megawatt job where to our great surprise, they were actually also able to provide 250 pound gas all in a city, albeit at the edge of the city. But we never would have guessed that for a small amount of money, relatively speaking, as a function of the total capital cost, they were actually able to, to bring in high pressure gas, avoiding the need for a fuel gas booster. So that was a... Uh, and, and, the and, in those, was and in those cases, if you think about the life cycle of developing a project, Mm-hmm. You are engaging directly, uh, you know, in these cases on behalf of the client with the utility very early on, well before very, capital is approved, correct? Way, way before capital approved is approved. So, you know, we're, we're trying to get some of our colleagues, if we put a control volume around the project, whatever the project is, we're getting some of our colleagues to really drill down, a, you know, what's the CapEx and all that stuff to do with inside the box. I tend to gravitate and others in, in the company, what's the due diligence outside the box of which this is a very significant one. So in that case, very early on, we were shocked to find out in terms of the feed work and even the feasibility study work that we are doing long before the, the CapEx was approved that we could get high pressure gas. Uh, another one here much closer to home uh, <laughs> we were very surprised to learn that they had 400 pound gas right next door. Like we had wow. no, I- no idea that in this part of the Niagara Peninsula, there was 400 pound gas for us. So that was right away a big, like, holy cow, we can even put in a turbine with an extremely high compression ratio. You know, we could go up to 300 pounds now in the end, 275 was fine, but that was a, also a very positive outcome. Uh, I guess one that that uh, came to mind for me was where we almost acted a little bit late was a very famous eight megawatt project where the engine that was chosen um, required pilot fuel uh, at 45 PSI. Mm. And um, we were shocked to learn that in that particular case, which was also in a city that um, they couldn't do 45 PSI without spending some money. But with enough hard work before capital was approved and the engines were purchased for a nominal amount, we were able to get that. But you know that was a big change for them because they were getting gas at 10 pounds before. And all of a sudden we needed 45 pounds 
Um, so that that was an example of where it was a it could have been checked, but we just thought, oh, a naturally aspirated engine or a turbocharged engine. Um, we didn't realize it was 45 or 50 pounds. And the 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 one that came to mind where you know, this was earlier on in CEM's uh, history. Uh, there was a part of Ontario where I just assumed there was 300 pound gas. I thought I knew the system in that area. Um, fuel chargeable to power was a pretty significant amount of new fuel. And uh, we were surprised to learn that by the time the LDC had done their design and done their budgeting, and it was a crossing of the 401, and it was a river crossing, it was like $3 million, and that was the end of that project. So that was a case where... You know, had we asked the right question at the very, very beginning, we might not have even have proposed the project that we did because we did get a bit of egg on our face on that job. Right. Um, but but money wasn't spent. So right. real capital dollars weren't spent, right? Yes, it was. Right. It, yeah. um, the most famous one probably is, uh, without mentioning the, you know, there's a very famous project that had been around for as long as I can remember. And it was uh, developed by an, another entity, and um, they did a ton of work on a gas turbine-based cogen project, and it got to head office in the United States uh, for for capital approval. And somebody said, uh, "Well, have you, has anybody met contacted the gas company yet?" And <laughs> uh, they just assumed gas would be there. You know, that we all just assumed the gas. You know, the gas company's going to come through. And in that case, you know, it was like four million dollars and three or four years before they would get the gas and that had a very very negative outcome to the point where with this particular company you cannot mention the word cogen to them and they go ballistic on you so you need to be very aware that the gas company can play an extremely positive and important role when because their hands are tied, right? There, everything they do right. is 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 controlled by the by the regulator, the Ontario Energy Board. Um, they can play a very positive role, but they need to be contacted almost right from the get go. Right. Yep. So, so this isn't in our prep, but put you on the spot. So we, we've we've been talking for for you know <laughs> a while now about pulling gas out of the system. Um, a lot of our you know, projects now are focused on uh, renewable natural gas, where we're actually putting um, stuff into the system. I mean, I think the general commentary um, about early engagement with the utility is 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 still warranted. I mean, I mean, any thoughts about you know RNG injection? And I mean, I know you've had some you know proximity to that out west. Um, you know, well, and, and one famous project here in in Ontario early on in our in our you know, as we started to get into into bar, biogas and RNG, uh, one that had a very formative impact on me was uh, a very big AD project and lots of biogas and lots of RNG. And then um, again, way too many site visits, uh, way too many hours spent on the on developing the project, only to learn that the takeaway capacity on that in that part of rural Ontario wasn't there. There's no way we could have injected that amount of RNG into that that four-inch pipe that ran down the concession past this mega dairy farm. Like no way. So and that's the issue, right? Is is that the 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 natural gas system was only designed to run one way, right? And so 
if you don't have enough local consumption, there there mm-hmm. becomes a point where you don't have enough local consumption to take your gas, particularly in the summer, I think, right? Mm-hmm. And we have to remember this $2 million threshold, right? When, um, as we're experiencing on another job in Ontario right now, if the gas com- if the gas company only has to spend $2 million on upgrading their system, that's one thing that flies below the radar. Um, but boy, oh boy, as soon as it exceeds 2 million, it go, has to go to the OEB. It has to be in the capital planning cycle. You're looking at two and a half years. You're looking at all kinds of opportunity for interveners. For um, so you have to be very sensitive to: is this a small upgrade to their system? You know, sort of under two million. Uh, Enbridge is trying to convince the OEB to make that 10 million, but mm. so far they've stood stood firm and said, no, no, anything over two million, we want to be involved. We want to and give ratepayers input so, so if you were to kind of sum, if you were kind of to summarize your you know if you were if you were in front of a client trying to develop a power project or an rng project or something that's got natural gas you know system implications what would your words of wisdom be um you know sh- short of short of hiring you uh to be their you know advisor um what, what are some other words of wisdom for them well, I would, I would say that um, you know we're so focused on interconnect capacity electrically, and what can the electric utility do and not do. Uh, I would say the natural gas utility due diligence is every bit as important as the electric utility due diligence. Um, every bit as important, and we have to have a world of respect for them. Uh, it's a difficult sector. Uh, it's a more mature sector in some ways than the regulation of electricity. Uh, so uh, they 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 need to be respected. Uh, they need to be contacted early, and they can be a very positive part of the overall solution. Remember, they care about that customer, if I may say so, just as much as we do. Um, and so, uh, not, don't make any assumptions about them. None at all. No. Got it. Well, Mark, this has been great. I mean, it's been a, a bit maybe more technical than we're used to on the program, um, but that was exactly what I was hoping was, you know, a real deep dive on a very, um, you know, specific aspect of some projects, not all. Uh, but my hope is that those who are in that space listening to this uh, or contemplating a project, um, you know, if this if this discussion can save one or two people some headaches down the road, uh, I think we've uh, we've done our We've done our best efforts. So thank you. I know you have a lot on the go. I'm I'm yeah, grateful. I just want to say one, can I say yeah. yeah, I want to say one last thing. Like we're as I've learned over the 40 years, we're spoiled in Ontario. We have lots of high pressure piping all over the province. When we get into projects in the states, much, you know, m- much more dense uh, you know, those systems in big U.S. cities operate at a much lower pressure. So the, the anything to do with power generation stateside and getting more gas is even more important because uh-huh. their systems uh, don't have the same um, operating pressures as we do. They, they're operating lower. So more care is required there, uh, more timely. Anyway, that's, that's we've that's learned great. that the hard way. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you again. I know you got a lot to go. Yep. Uh, always appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, and to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Uh, thank you to Mark Charbonneau, our producer. 
making us uh, look and sound good, uh, at least as much as he can, given what he has to work with. Um, and to all of our listeners, look forward to um, our next time together. And until then, uh, stay safe and let's focus on um, building a more decarbonized and a more functional world together. Thank you.